Welcome to Spirit of the Midwest, a show featuring interviews and stories that expose the deep values and pride found in the heart of America. My name is CK Hicks, and I'm here with my co-host, Wesley Noble. And we are here today with Jane Grant Abbott. Uh, Jane is a good family friend of mine. I've known for several years. Uh, she is a painter, uh, very, very talented artist. Uh, she is really fun to talk with, um, and we thought it'd be really fun to talk with her here. So I'm really excited for that. Welcome to the show, Jane. Thank you. I feel I have to get some jokes ready now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, starting out, uh, we like to ask really broad, open questions that you can like do anything you want with. So one of the first things we like to ask is um, about your story. So can you describe your path uh, to what you're doing now and just kind of your story and background? Sure. Yes. Well, um, obviously, you can tell by my accent that I'm not American. So I was born in England. Um, and married my husband there, um, raised our children there, up until 2006, um, when my husband got a position here with 3M. So we um, moved overseas to um, Stillwater, Minnesota. And um, before that, in the UK, I had done various um jobs after getting my business degree but then I retrained as a teacher and I worked as an elementary teacher. Coming to the US however um, on the visa that we had initially I wasn't able to work um, and so my husband prompted me and said look you've always wanted to paint why don't you see if there's a class somewhere. So I was in the local art gallery one day and I was really drawn to one particular artist's landscapes of um, the local area. And, and I got talking to the gallery owner and she said, um, oh, well, are you interested in painting? Are you a painter? I said, well, I, I, I'm thinking about it. And she said, well, this painter um, takes a number of students each year and you, sh you should contact her. Here's her details. So long story short, I ended up talking to her. She's now an extremely close friend of mine. She's a master oil painter. So I couldn't have landed in any better place. Wow. Um, and I trained under her for a couple of years. And as soon as I started painting, I thought, this is what I'm going to do now. Um, I used to love it at school, but I never did it at university. I, I I'd have the odd urge to sketch or paint, but I really thought I'd missed the boat in terms of now I didn't go and do art at, at university or anything. Didn't cross my mind that there's other paths, um, in fact, sometimes better paths um, to becoming an artist. And actually the one for me was to study under a master oil painter. Mm. So um, I got off to a flying start with her and um, I just put a lot of hours in, um, treated it as a job before it, it brought me any income. I just mm. would treat it as my job. When the kids went off to school, I would get the paints out and I would study and I would paint. And then it, it um, moved on to there to actually, um, you know, becoming my now career. Wow. So I have to ask, I mean, the, the mentorship model is obviously a time tested yeah. uh, approach, you know, where you have someone who knows a lot about something and then you have a student who wants to learn. Yes. So, I mean, and then you said the treat it as a job before it actually was one. Is that something that you consider kind of instrumental in the growth process to get to get to where you are? Yes. Yes. Taking 
the um, the learning part seriously. Um, I remember one of the things that um, Cammy uh, Mendlick, who was my mentor, um, said one day in class was um, it was quoting another painter, and it was um, it takes miles of canvas to make a painter. And I remember sitting there thinking, okay, then I need to get painting and paint a lot, you know. And so that's what I did. So it was a discipline. Um, so it's interesting because you know people say a lot about talent but as you know there's a lot more to talent than it just sort of popping out onto mm -hmm. the canvas or a musician just you know sitting down and playing it it's hours and hours of practice study um of doing it you know and um so i think the talent is the initial impetus to want to do it um, but after that, it's it's hard work like anything else is, and it's dedication and um, committing yourself to doing what it takes to be excellent. Yeah, well, and it's cool because there's there's this whole 10,000-hour theory that's yes. out there. But, you know, I heard someone say recently, I think what he meant to say when he said 10,000 hours, if you're not familiar, Malcolm Gladwell, you know, 10,000. I, yeah, I know, I, yes. I figured you were, yeah. And, uh, and Either, but they said it's it's 10,000 hours maybe if that could work, but it has to be a focused practice. Exactly. And it's, it's not just you can do something for 10,000 hours and be great. It's you have to really apply yourself for a long time and miles of canvas. I love that. So yeah. um, so the, yes, har the not, hard work there is so yeah. important. Yeah, not just, not just standing there and painting anything, but knowing what do I need to grow in? Mm -hmm. you know, what do I need to do next? Okay, well, what am I not good at yet? So how am I going to improve that? So you're absolutely right. It's not just, oh, I'll just put my time in. It's actually um, focused um, time with knowledge of where you need to go. Huh. So cool. Uh, you know, backing up just a little bit, could you talk about moving from Wales to the American Midwest and like what that experience was like for you? Mm. Um, well, we'd been expecting to, for about a year, to move overseas. It was just one of those, we knew it was going to happen kind of thing before anything came on the horizon. And so I, in that sense, I think it kind of prepares you for a dramatic change. Hmm. Um, the actual getting the visa, jumping through all the hoops, selling your house, packing your house up, um, <laughs> shipping it overseas, all that was actually quite a headache. <laughs> um, nothing, not something I would want to rush at doing again. Um, <clears throat> but we just had the attitude that this was an adventure and we were on it together as a family. Um, and when we arrived, we... I don't know, we just dived in. We weren't on um, like a three-year contract or anything. It was like we burnt our bridges and <laughs> my husband had taken this job and I was 3M USA. But actually, I think that helps because when you know there's no going back, um, you dive in. This is your country now. And mm. I, it was interesting because we hadn't long moved here and I realised that all of us in the family were referring to Minnesota as home, not wales as home and that just sort of happened naturally so that to me was a big indication that as soon as we planted ourselves here we actually did feel like this was home hmm. um and then of course the actual establishing your life in another country 
um, you don't know anyone. But of course, if you put in the effort and you're willing to be hospitable and make connections with people, um, connections can be made. And of course, that your family are an example, Wesley, you know. <laughs> Um, and so we've got great friends here. So we've got great friends back in the UK, um, but we've got great friends here now. And so it is life enriching, I think, and uh, not something that we have ever regretted doing. And it's been good for each one of us in the family. It's been a good move. Um, and for myself, of course, I, it wasn't even on my radar to be an artist. I mean, that would have seemed ridiculous <laughs> before, you know, and I wouldn't have known where to start or whatever. And and yet that kind of just happened wow. um, upon moving here. So I think having a radical life change and all your safety nets and familiar things are gone, um, you do try new things, you do take risks, you do see everything in a new light. And so I think it just opens you up to new experiences and, you know, putting yourself out there a bit more. Mm. That's mm. really neat. So when you came over here, was the pace of life different or similar? Or like what, how would you describe that change as far as, you know, the, the working mentality and, and um, not to, you know, really pick on either country, but just like, you know, how, how did it change for you all? Like, was there a big adjustment or, or did you kind of just slip into to that calling it home? Um, there's a lot that feels familiar. And I think that's just because the world is so small now, you know, um, yeah. it was so familiar. My, my husband had been over to Minnesota numerous times. Um, I've been over to the States. I haven't been over to Minnesota. So we were familiar with America as a whole. But um, I think um, a couple of things that we observed or we noticed that were different was um, we thought people were very polite. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, people were surprised at that because they think British people are polite. But actually you know, Minnesota nice and all that. It was definitely, I couldn't, I wondered why when I walked past people in shops and they go, um, excuse me, and I'd, I'd be thinking, sorry, what, what happened then? And it was just that they were passing in my vague vicinity <laughs> and they were being ultra polite and that that was funny, I, I, you know. So of course I, I now do that and I, you know, fully Minnesotan now. <laughs> um, the, the work ethic we feel um, is definitely strong here. Um, you know, an expectation to work hard. Um, the out the hours of the day that that was one very big difference. The day tends to start later in the UK. Here, of course, it starts early, so everyone's travelling to work earlier, and school begins earlier. Mm. You know, schools begin at nine o'clock in the UK. Um, so that was different, and then of course. The working day ends earlier here, um, whereas it ends later in the UK. Um, and then one other difference I've just mentioned, which is kind of interesting, is again, dinner time. That took a bit of getting used to, actually, that lunch and dinner, evening meal, um, is so much earlier here than in the UK. So if you hmm. have dinner, people around for dinner in the UK, it's eight o'clock in the evening at the earliest. Oh, wow. And then you sit down to eat together. Whereas people would invite us around for dinner here and it'd be 5.30. And I'd be like, oh, 5.30? <laughs> really? <laughs> and then, of course, they're looking to go to bed at 8. 
so, you know, Europe is kind of different in that, you know, much later nights, uh, later evenings, but then the later starts. So. Mm. Yeah, that's, now, that's interesting too. I mean, that's just a flow of life change. Like you, you kind of have to learn, like your, your biological clock gets thrown off because you're eating earlier and you, I'm exactly. assuming you didn't adjust your bedtime drastically. So, I mean, that, that that's kind of a fun thing that I know I wouldn't think about moving to a new country. It's like, oh, you don't eat at the time that I'm used to, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, my, everyone used to get up and, and go to lunch kind of around about 11 and my husband would be going, I can't eat at 11 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> lunch but of course now he does and so yeah you're exactly right your body adjusts you know mm. and now we're ready for our dinner at you know 5 30 whereas when we first moved here it's like oh i can't eat dinner at 5 30 <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah and also tea time right like that's not a thing here but it totally should be tea time Oh, I, I'm trying to infect the Midwest with tea time. Oh, please, <laughs> please continue doing that. Being quite successful because I have friends here now that when I go to their house, they know the kettle is on and um, they know how to make a proper British cup of tea now. Lovely. Um, and uh, one of my friends here is funny. She's so into it now that um, she has the teapot. She has teacups and saucers and... <laughs> Yeah, so she enjoys her afternoon tea like we Brits do. So, oh, that's lovely. Yeah, <laughs> I support your initiative. I'm I'm a big tea guy, so I I think it's great. Yeah. You know, if we could kind of transition more into your painting uh, talent and just that like discovery process that that's just so cool to me that you. I don't know, like that you just never even thought about, never even considered that before, but now that's your full-time profession. Yeah. I don't know. What was that like for you when you discovered that, hey, this might be something? Um, it was like discovering something that was part of me that I just hadn't recognized before. So it wasn't as strange as it might seem, it was more exciting. Hmm. Um, and it's interesting because, um, you know, before I even took my first class with um, Cammy, just talking to her on the phone, she she asked me to talk about me and talk about, um, you know, did I do any painting? I said, no, not really. But, you know, now and again, I get this huge urge that I have to paint and I'll just grab like wallpaper and house paint and just paint something you know and um she said to me she said you are a painter you have to come and paint with me she said i can tell just by talking to you you're a painter um so i'm like oh well okay you know <laughs> and um the first class i went to i was absolutely terrified they all seemed they had their easels up and they all seemed to know what they were doing and i i had to go into the bathroom and actually talk to myself in the mirror and um like you can do you can do this <laughs> <laughs> you know i just felt completely out of my depth but once i got painting it was just like it's just like coming home it was hmm. it felt weirdly familiar although it wasn't do you know what i mean hmm, yeah so yeah i guess so that's cool. kind of how you know when you found your thing you know like the 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 area you're supposed to focus in or the gift you've you yes. know you've been given or whatever is is when you get there and you go i feel like i've been doing this forever and yeah. it's just so neat to hear yeah and you're not forcing the 
um, the putting in the effort. I mean, it doesn't mean it's not effort and it doesn't mean it's not hard work, but you're not forcing it. You know, you're doing it of your own initiative. And why would you do that unless there was something driving you inside, Hmm. you know? Um, So, yeah. Hmm. So you're primarily an oil painter, is that right? Correct. And what I've heard a little bit about what you do with that, but um, what all do you do? Like portraits, you do some teaching. What do you do with that disability? Okay, so um, I, if I was to summarize my oil paintings, um, yes, I do some still lifes now and again, or I'll, I'll do the odd landscape, but what is my main focus and my main passion is um portraiture or or figurative work and mm-hmm. um often capturing childhood moments that kind of thing mm-hmm. um at the moment um my focus is very strongly on portraiture and developing that um but then alongside my work i have um an art academy for kids um and there I teach them drawing and painting foundations um, and really looking to develop excellence in that and give them tools to build a strong foundation. So I have kids who've been with me now for a few years who have moved into oil painting and it's you know, pretty amazing the work that they're doing hmm. because they've had a strong foundation. Um, and so it's that's a very rewarding part. I think it's part of that artist's journey is to be able to not only um, learn for yourself in your own work, but um, pass it on. Yeah, mm. I think that's a it's kind of a crucial part of artistry, you know, is being able to um, pass that on and pass on the learning. So now. Wesley's told me a little bit about your story. What do you, you have a kind of a view of art as being kind of almost therapy too, don't you? Um, I think it's therapeutic almost by nature because it's, it's you know, you're using um, a part of your brain that really gets underused um, by most people in the West and in education and so on. So... <clears throat> you know, the right brain, the artistic side of the brain is not so time conscious and so on. So when you, it, it's therapeutic in the sense that you're not, um, you know, you can get into your piece of work, whatever you're doing, and absolutely not have a sense of time and um, kind of get lost in that, which is, I think, restorative to your body Hmm. to switch off in the world we live in um and it's interesting because i teach um kids from ages six and up and if i have a new student and you know a parent might say to me i don't know whether they could sit through a two-hour class (laughs) you know and i'll say i can absolutely guarantee you it will not be an issue Mm -hmm. and it never has been you know and i have kids who um you know, have ADD or whatever. Again, it's not an issue. Um, 
because it's it's a uh, you know it's it's the right brain there exercising and, and using and focusing on yeah you kind of lose a grasp of time when you're when you get into that and you'd oh I've been sitting here all day you know <laughs> yeah yeah I mean uh, you know I can paint at my easel for hours and hours and hours and just be focused and not be conscious of time but as soon as I get to an end point all of a sudden I realize everything my body needs you know <laughs> oh I need bathroom oh I need to eat oh which one should I do first <laughs> but it's like all that was suspended while I was creating hmm. um hmm. so yeah do you ever have like troubled kids who are in your art classes um and okay so defines troubled so troubled as in like they are kind of in a shell and they they've had hard backgrounds and like painting like can help draw them out okay um i wouldn't say in my classes so far that I've had anyone with um, a traumatic background or anything like that. But um, as we know, there's issues everywhere. There's heartaches everywhere. So mm. um, it may be, um, you know, that the dad's just been diagnosed with something and now the family's facing, you know, his imminent departure and so on. Sure. Well, that's going to affect. So those things all affect how I, how I treat that person, or you know what I know about them, or um, you know there's someone in in my class, and she she was kind of withdrawing into herself. I could see that, and had taken on a role of kind of the tragic artist or the whatever, and. Um, I remember kind of challenging her about that and saying, no, we should be the most joyful people of hmm. all what we get to do, yeah. <laughs> you know, and drawing her out. And um, so, yes, there's an element of that ongoing anyway, just knowing people as individuals and um, being sensitive to who they are and also what's going on in their lives. Hmm. I did train a couple of years ago, um, in a process called art for healing and that is a therapeutic art process um doing exactly what you were saying wesley it's um you don't have to be an artist to do it in fact you don't use paintbrushes or pencils or anything you just mm. use your hands you use um uh like little cotton bud sticks you know mm. um and so on and and so there's nothing threatening no pencils nothing like that um and you just use color and basically you guide people through the exercises um and they use color as a way of expressing themselves so i haven't actually done anything with that training yet i'm i'm seeing where that might go in the future but when i was doing the training in california it was you know it was amazing how people opened up and shared things about themselves and their lives after doing um a piece of art you know mm. um and we actually went to camp pendleton and um uh they were working with um soldiers who were on leave with um post-traumatic stress and so on and, oh, wow. and went into the room and i i saw all these big burly soldiers sitting around these art tabs and I thought, oh my goodness, they're never going to want to play with paint pots and colour. This is going to be, this is going to be awful. 
Um, and I was amazed. It's like as soon as they started, um, they just like reverted to little kids, mm. you know, and um, got into it and shared things about themselves. And some of them did have traumatic backgrounds, actually, which were, you know, quite shocking. And they just shared them. Um and had expressed it somehow. So I don't know what I will do with that exactly in the future, but it's I think it's a useful thing to have and something I'm open to using in the yeah. future. Yeah, it sounds like I think you'd be a great person for that. And it sounds like you have a real heart for it too. So that's really cool to hear. Thank you. So how do you uh, set goals for yourself as an artist and strive to be better? Um, I try and take time at, towards the end of a year to review, to reflect. Um, I don't wait till January. I want to have, I want to have already started um, up the process somewhat by the time the new year comes and to hit the ground running. Um, so usually about November time, um, often around Thanksgiving, um, I just sit and journal, jot things down, um, write my goals. What do I want to work on? What do I want to focus on? Um, and generally get, you know, an overall vision for the year. I've discovered that I work, best in kind of a project way so like I said this year I'm very much focusing on portraiture so I'm very I mean I find so many things beautiful and so many um things I want to paint but it's good when I have a focus and just yeah but this year I'm doing this mm. and because it reins me in and stops me being so random and all over the place. Oh, that's, I'm not good at that at all. <laughs> no, I'm ha I have to discipline myself because I, you know, I, I get a little bit ADD as far as art's concerned. You know? It's <laughs> like, oh, I could paint that. Oh, I could paint that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I do have to kind of take myself in hand and say, yeah, but this year I'm focusing on this, aren't I? Mm. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that that's what I do. I try and get a strong um sense of what I want to focus on and have it written out and keep looking back at my goals in general not just my art goals um at regular intervals you know because you can forget or you can get distracted yeah well it's yeah. such a helpful metric like such a great way to judge yeah. where you are and where you've been and then it gives you kind of a target for the future you know and, and being able yeah. to say no, I'm focused on this. Like, I, I love that. I'm, I'm going to try and apply that because, like I said, I'm really bad at that. But uh, so if is that something you said looking back? Is that something that you would ask or or even say to your younger version of you if you could, you know, say, hey, it's OK. You'll have time to paint and, you know, like as you're discovering things, focus on one thing and really work on it and then develop that over time. Or is that uh, like how would you give that advice to your younger self? Um, yes, I'd probably give that advice. And, um, in fact, when I started oil painting, I had to just in terms of sticking to, um, that one medium for the first few years, um, to make sure that I put in those miles of canvas, but in that medium, you know, cause each medium has its own 
skills and um characteristics and so on mm-hmm. so um I had to I had you know I really wanted to try watercolor I really wanted to try mixed media and I had to you know and I have done those since but those first few years I had to have the conversation with myself just to stay within oil painting medium um in order to develop sufficiently well and it was only when I felt I was getting a um consistent standard um and proficiency in oil painting would I allow myself to go outside of that and you know, experiment a bit with some other things. Excellent. Hmm. What drew you to oil painting and caused you to stick with it? Um, I don't think it was the oil painting per se. It was the artist that I saw and her work. And she's an oil painter, exclusively an oil painter. And so by joining her class, I was joining an oil painting class. Um, but having started oil painting then I realized how much I liked it and um I hadn't realized well I I never had used oil paint before for a start and um you know people say to me now oh oil painting's really hard isn't it um and it's interesting because to me it's not a hard medium in the sense that I think it's a very forgiving medium um because if you don't like it or you make a mistake, you can scrape it off. Hmm. Um, And also the paint stays wet. So you get, you know, you can do a lot more with it. Whereas something like acrylics is drying as you're painting. Um, And watercolor, again, if you know, once it's on, there's not an awful lot you can do. (laughs) So I actually really like the, um, the flexibility of, of oil paint. So yeah, I hadn't intended to, but um, by default, I did, and then I liked it right away. Nice. And, you know, just one more question before we wrap up here. Um, how do you balance your passion work in painting uh, with your family and other relationships? Um, it's always challenging <laughs> mm-hmm. because I think doing something like this is very absorbing it's not like going to work getting a paycheck and coming home again and and thinking okay I've I've put in my time I've done my job um I'm always my mind is always switched on to what's around me and to my work and seeing colors and and so on so it's it's always a challenge to then not let it completely take over and absorb um, my life. So again, um, often it's a discipline and often it's going back to first things first. And again, going back to the importance of setting goals, I think, you know, what are my family goals? What are my marriage goals? You know, my relationship goals for the year. And going back to those and seeing, well, am I, am I fulfilling them? Um, do I need to pull back a bit? Um, so I think it's a constant tension. If you love what you do mm-hmm. and you want to do it well and so on. Um, but at the same time, also realizing that every part of your life and especially, um, those closest relationships to you feed into and can be part of and benefit what you do, you know? So, you know, I like painting people. So spending time with people is not 
in isolation of my art. You know, it can become part of my art. Um, what I, you know, having a son, for example, with special needs and the, you know, living with that, living through that, um, that's part of our life, but that I can allow to um, somehow infiltrate how I paint or the feeling that comes through what I paint mm. or um, just let it all influence and all become part of my work. Hmm. Well, this has been just so delightful. Um, and Jane, I just want to thank you for taking time to talk with us and uh, share your story. It's been really neat to hear not just your progression to the Midwest, but also the things that kind of make it home for you. And uh, it's I just I've, I've loved all of it. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. I've loved talking to you both. Yeah, it's been really fun. Uh, you can get to know Jane a little better uh, by and see some of her amazing artwork uh, by visiting abbanart.com. That's A-B-B-A-N art.com. Uh, and also uh, abbanart on Instagram. She has some great stuff there. Um, also, you can learn more about this show by visiting spiritofmidwest.fm. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. Please join us next time as we celebrate the spirit of the Midwest.